Thank you to Wildcare and Wildlife Acoustics for sponsoring the Bat Chat podcast. Can you hear that? We can. Wildlife Acoustics creates the world's leading bat acoustic monitoring tools, designed to help scientists make impactful discoveries for our biologically diverse planet, turning this into this. Visit wildlifeacoustics.com to learn more. Wildcare are committed to supporting the ecology industry and are specialists in supplying a large range of monitoring, conservation and habitat management products, as well as equipment hire and service and repair. With a large range of products coupled with friendly and expert help and advice, Wildcare is a favourite supplier for ecologists nationwide. Go to wildcare.co.uk to see the full range and quote BatChat at the checkout for 10% off all bat detectors and bat boxes. Hello and welcome to this week's Bat Chat from the Bat Conservation Trust. We hope you all enjoyed the festive period. If any of you received bat-related gifts, then let us know on social media using the hashtag BatChat. I'm Steve Rowe, and in the run-up to Christmas, I spoke with the Chief Executive Officer of BCT, Kit Stoner, to find out more about the operation of our charity, the upcoming launch of the British Bat Survey, as well as how COVID-19 has affected the organisation. Of course, with the new tier system changing on a regular basis, organising interviews in person is proving tricky at the moment, and this interview was done over the phone, so bear with us on the quality of the call. My first question to Kit was... What's it like to work at the Bat Conservation Trust and to give us a typical insight in the life of a chief executive? Um, it's, there's always a lot to do. It's, it's, never, it's never a boring job, um, but there's not, there's not really a typical week as such, which is actually one of the things I really enjoy about it. So in theory, the role is, is about leading the organisation. So it includes planning ahead for the organisation. So, for example, doing things like budgets, financial planning, strategy development, but there is also a lot of more immediate and reactive work. And that could be anything from policy to getting involved with projects to funding to HR. Um, so, for example, this afternoon I was in a, a webinar run by a coalition called Race for Recovery. And VCT is planning to take part in the new Kickstart initiative from the government, which is looking to support young people into work. Um, and Race to Recovery is specifically looking to try and focus on recruiting people from black, Asian and minority ethnic backgrounds in the conservation sector. So this afternoon, we were just finding out a little bit more about how the project will run and how um, the coalition will be able to support both the young people and the host organisations. Uh, then this morning, we had our weekly COVID group meeting to make sure that what we're doing, uh, that we're doing what we need to be in relation to the safety of staff and volunteers. Uh, yesterday, I was on the governance board for a, a fairly new project called Species on the Edge. Um, that's a new collaborative species recovery project uh, that's focusing um, on Scotland's coasts and islands. Um, and that's been developed by Rethink Nature, which is a, a coalition of seven species organisations and is being led by Nature Scott. Um, and then over the last week, um, there have been lots of meetings, um, including roundtable on planning white paper, um, online online launch of the Nature Recovery Networks. Had a couple of steering group meetings for a, a new project um, called Earned Recognition, which is a collaborative project with SIEM and Natural England, and that's um, looking at reforming species licensing with a view to making it faster, but also making it more effective for stakeholders, um, with bats being very important on that list of stakeholders. So that's a, a sort of a, a few things I've been up to this week. So it's pretty varied then. What what do you find best about the job? 
the the variety is is one of the things I enjoy most about it. Um, you never know what's coming. I I have a feeling that I I bore easily um, when it comes to to jobs. But BCT, I've been here for many years I can't even add them up now um but I've been had a number of different jobs um within that and the CEO role I would say is that the most varied of all of those um you never know what's coming and there's always something new to learn uh the staff is obviously that is a huge asset to the organization and that's one of the bits I love about the job is working with those staff they're they're a talented bunch uh they're really hard working and committed to the cause um, and also very supportive of, of, of myself and SMT um, and of their colleagues. I, I like having the overview of the organisation. So as I said, in previous roles, I was working more on specific projects, whereas uh, once I got to senior management level, you can start to see the links between the different areas of the work and you can see how it all it, it all kind of links together. And, and one of the things I love um, is is going to conferences and actually hearing about what it is that we've been up to because obviously <laughs> I do have I do have an overview but I don't know the detail of every single project I'd be lying if I said I did uh, and it's it just always astounds me we're a relatively small organization it always astounds me exactly how much it is that we achieve and it makes me very proud um, to lead the organization and and what's been your most memorable bat experience in that time Oh, um, I, most recently, which are the ones that, the one that springs to mind, is uh, going to Zambia and, and seeing the straw-coloured fruit bats in Kasanka National Park, which was just, it was absolutely incredible. It's pretty hard to describe. It was sort of, I think it's around 10 million bats leaving and returning to the roost um, at sunset and sunrise. It was just an absolutely incredible experience. But I guess coming back close to home, seeing those first bats on that on that mammal ecology course and went into a, a roost um she has a license obviously um and there was just a little group of lesser horseshoe bats peering down with their little nose leaves um and I, and I did feel in I did fall a little bit in love with them and as I say I came back and joined the bat group straight away um and I think actually just seeing pipistrels in the hand I will never get fed up with seeing pipistrels in the hand the first time I saw one well I think like everybody when they see one for the first time just goes how how can it be that small how can it be such an amazing creature and be that tiny and and every time i see one i still think that so i guess those are some of the the memorable bat experiences and you said uh just a moment ago that you decided to have a career change where did you learn the skills necessary to lead an organization like the bat conservation trust um i honest with you i suspect at the bat conservation trust so um obviously you, you do various bits of training as you go through your career um, but i do think an awful lot of the skills have been learned at, in the different jobs i've had at bct um some of it's been at, on the job learning um i'm definitely some of it's definitely been learning from my mistakes um and of course i've also learned quite a lot from my own line managers and as you mentioned at the beginning i was lucky enough to start my ceo role in a job share with Julia Hammer, who'd already had several years of experience as CEO. So I, I learned a huge amount from her. So I, I feel as if I was quite lucky, I got a kind of a transition into being a CEO. And what do you find most challenging about being a chief executive? I think perhaps the variety that I find most interesting can also be the most challenging because you don't really know what's coming. You could be sort of planned a day and, and then something completely left field will come in. Um, and you don't necessarily know how to deal with it so but you have to deal with it because it's your job um so sometimes it can be a little bit hard to make time to plan and to think strategically um and i think that has definitely been very true of this year we where we've, like so many organizations we've had to do uh, a lot of firefighting <clears throat> and i think um in theory it can it can feel quite lonely as a ceo because you are kind of a single post 
Yeah. But actually, um, I have a, a great bunch of trustees, as you know, as you were one of them, um, and also a, a really great um, tight-knit senior management team. So I, I don't feel as if I'm on my own. I do feel as if there's support out there. So that's really important. And, and again, you mentioned the coronavirus. How challenging mm. has coronavirus been to, to the organisation? It well, quite a lot. <laughs> um, so it's sort of three three prongs really. Obviously, there's the the safety of staff and volunteers. So we've had the way that we work has changed. We've um, obviously shut the office down. We do have a very small number of staff in the office now, but we've had to um, get the office to be COVID secure. We've had to do our activities in different ways. So the helpline, for example, has had to be completely remote this year. We've had five new members of seasonal staff come on board and leave and none of us um or i think one person has actually met them in person they had to have all their training remotely which has been quite challenging for the helpline team um and obviously the miscommunication around coronavirus and bats has been a sort of a a drain on our resources having to redirect some of our, our communications resources towards that um and then finally there's just the the very small risk um we don't well a mis, a, an unknown risk um of whether humans can transmit corona, uh, SARS-CoV-2 which is the virus that causes COVID-19 whether that can be transmitted from humans to bats um and so we had to do quite a lot of work with our global colleagues um around guidance on that um trying to mitigate the risk of that being of that happening uh, again do you i mean does bct work a lot with bat conservation international and, and other organizations yeah we do as i say this year it's been very important to our international colleagues uh, we are a member of Eurobats, um and so through that we we would uh, we're on a number of inter, um, intersessional working groups so we've uh working uh, currently working on some guidance on bats and insulation. We've had a lot of input into bats and artificial lighting guidance, uh, bats and wind turbine guidance. So that's all at a, a European level with VCT input. I'm also a trustee of Bat Life Europe, which is um, a, an NGO, an umbrella network of organisations, bat organisations across Europe. And then we do have contacts with other organisations as well. BCI, for example, we, we share knowledge and experience with them around um, our monitoring programme, for example. Um, we've also talked about capacity building um, because we have a fantastic network of back groups in the UK and they wanted to learn a little bit more um, about how we how we manage that. So the vision of BCT is a world rich in wildlife, and I'm quoting this off the website, where bats and people thrive together. What steps can we take as bat workers and as the general public to help achieve achieve that vision? There is so much that everybody can do, um, aid, any ability. Um, there are lots of practical ways through volunteering. So that could be our national bat monitoring program, could be as a volunteer on our out of hours helpline. Uh, people can do so much locally through their bat group, um, as you know. Um, so it could be education work, it could be survey work, it could be bat care, um, multitude of other things. But um, I appreciate that not everyone has time to volunteer, um, but people can just do little and important things like, for example, planting bat-friendly flowers in their garden if they're lucky enough to have a garden um, or in a window box if they have a window box um, or just having a small area of water to encourage insects into the garden. All of those things can help bats. Um, but I actually think one of the most important things that anybody can do, and you don't need, you don't need any special skills to do this, is just to be an ambassador for bats. You, you know, they are misunderstood creatures, but the majority of times when people do understand more about them, or particularly if they see one in the hand, they are fascinated and, and they very quickly understand their importance. So I think one of the easiest things that absolutely anybody could do is tell as many people about how brilliant bats are. 
And you've got insider knowledge at BCT with all the different projects that are going on. What do you think is going to be the next big thing in the world of bats? Um, I, th- I think pr- probably technology. Well, there could be lots of things. There could be things I don't know about yet. But um, I think <laughs> technology, you could probably ask that question every year and it could always potentially be the answer. <laughs> it's always developing. Um, I think one of the recent game changes is the development of the Audio Moth, which is a, a sensor that's available um, at quite a low cost which means that a large number of sensors can be left out in the field to record bats at night. Um, and this is a sensor that we've been using in our pilots for the British Bat Surveys over the last couple of years. And we also had um, a collaboration with Forestry England last year in 2019, which focused on recording woodland bats. And that pilot uh, succeeded in recording and identifying nearly 2 million bat calls um, in the summer of last year, which is really exciting. And it's actually the, the largest data set of bat records ever collected by PCT. Um, and I think... I think that's just the beginning. We've got lots of um, plans to use this technology. So I think I think that's one of the next big thing in the world of bats. So I'm quite excited about that project because potentially it means we can collect so much more data with the reduction in cost of the audio moth. When, exactly. When, when do you think that project's likely to launch nationwide? Um, next year, I hope. So we have, um, we have hot press. We have actually got some funding for it um we've, we've been in discussions with funders this week so we're, we're planning to launch two projects one of them is the british bat survey which you you already know about um, but then also a sort of side project off that called Nightwatch. so it's going to be using the same methodology but the british bat survey will be done um with stratified random samples uh, across the, U- the uk whereas Nightwatch will be open to all and it, and it means that people can just put audio moths out in their garden or in their local green spaces so it's a much more accessible um, and easy to access nocturnal survey and a really good way of, of connecting with communities and, and connecting them them with their nature oh that's great so does that mean people for that night watch does that mean people will be able to upload their data to a to a nap or something and then get the data that's back? right Yes, they will. Yes. So they'll use the audio moth, um, place those in the gardens, local green spaces. Then they'll use an, uh, an app to upload their data. Um, and then the volunteers will receive feedback on the species they've recorded. Um, and as well as that, they also receive some feedback um, with actions that they can take to support those species. So they're not just inputting the data to us, but they're also getting information about how they can actually support that species. And hopefully that will really engage them in their, in their local nature. Brilliant. And... I mean, we've touched on it already, really. What's, I mean, what sort of challenges does BCT face and, and what are the biggest challenges facing our bats in the UK? I think that, uh, BCT, like many organisations, has got some, got some challenging financial times ahead. Uh, we've, we've been really lucky this year. We've received a lot of support from members, from bat groups and other supporters. And we are really grateful for people because it's been a, a difficult year for everyone. So we're really grateful that people have felt able to continue supporting us. But we are expecting the fundraising climate to be very competitive over the next couple of years. Um, and so we're working hard to try and identify new opportunities and think creatively about new income streams. So I think that's one of the big challenges of VCT. In terms of bats, at the moment, I think the biggest challenges are around policy and legislation. So um, over the past year, we've seen the Environment Bill progress through Parliament. Um, it was delayed due to COVID, but it's now just been discussed at the committee stage and it's really crucial that we have a, a robust fit for purpose environment act for when the transition period ends. Obviously, time is is, is running short, mm. um, and it is essential that the needs of species are taken into account in that. So that's that's one challenge. 
Um, and more recently, we've seen the white paper on planning that was published in August. Uh, and we have a number of concerns about the approaches outlined in that white paper. Um, I don't think I've got time to go into all of them. There are quite a lot of them. Um, you, can, you can see a summary of our concerns in our consultation response on the website. But uh, just, I guess just to mention a couple of them. Um, one of them is that anything to do with our planning system, any planning reforms need to make sure that it integrating nature's recovery with the land use planning system. Um, and that needs to support the aims of the environment bill. So, for example, the local nature recovery strategies and biodiversity net gain. And, and as they stand, we don't feel that is the case. And another big concern is um, making sure that we have robust, uh, up-to-date um, and, and fit-for-purpose data. And for some species, such as bats, inevitably that's going to need to be um, on a site-by-site -site basis. There's a lot of focus on the moment about just getting lots more data on everything, which is obviously we're very supportive of that, um, and strategic level mapping. And, and obviously that can provide many benefits, but it, it's not capable of replacing on-site survey work. So that is one of the concerns um, that we have in the current proposals. And we know that if developments are well planned and if surveys carried out early in the process, they, they don't need to be a problem at all. So the potential changes to the legislation after the transition period, is that part of why BCT has been getting together several MP bat species champions? It's one of many reasons, actually. So the, the species project, the species champion project, has been going for oh, about three years now, I think. Um, but it certainly is helpful to have champions in the Commons and in government. Um, so we've had species champions across England, Scotland, and Wales raising issues relating to bats in debates. Um, and one of our English species champions has also submitted a number of written questions. Sometimes those are in relation to bats, and sometimes in relation to to broader issues relating to nature. But I do think the Species Champion Project as a whole has worked really well in raising the profile of species across parties and, and more MPs have an understanding of issues related to species and are willing to speak up for them. But I would say there is still much work to be done on that front. I mean, of all the work that, that you do at BST, what do you consider most valuable for the long-term health of UK bat populations? Is, is that legislation part of it or are there other things as well? I think it's, it's, a, it's almost an impossible question to answer that one because... Obviously, um, all of our work is important, otherwise we wouldn't be doing it. Or it, it all ultimately leads towards our, towards our vision. But it feels like right now, this sort of snapshot in time, it does feel that one of the biggest challenges to bat conservation is coming through that, that policy and legislation sphere. So advocacy and campaign work does, is moving to the forefront. Um, we, we need to speak up for bats and bat habitats now more than we've had to do for some time, I think. Do you think that the UK conservation movement works well or... Could it do more to cooperate and join forces? I think it's working better than it did previously. And I think it is doing more to cooperate and join forces. And certainly when, for example, I joined BCT, um, BCT has always been quite a collaborative organisation. So we have had a number of collaborative projects over the years. Uh, but I think there's always room for improvement. <laughs> um, one example, a relatively recent example is Rethink Nature, which is a group of seven leading species conservation organisations, including BCT. Um, and those of you who have been listening to your previous podcasts will um, almost certainly have heard of the Back from the Brink project. And that is a project that came out of that Rethink Nature partnership um, alongside Natural England. So I think it's definitely an example of where we are achieving more by working together. And I think the policy work is another really good example where over the last two or three years, um, environmental organisations have been working together well. So we're a member of Wildlife and Countryside Link and also a supporter of Greener UK. 
and those are both umbrella organisations for a number of different conservation organisations. And they've been leading work on looking at the Environment Bill, at the Agriculture Bill, and as I mentioned more recently, the, the White Paper on Planning Reforms. So for, so for us, because they're quite a small organisation, um, that support is is really invaluable. We, we benefit from the, the greater policy resource that the larger organisations have, but we're also able to feed in really specific, important points about bats and ensure that species are taken into account. So it's a, it's a two-way process. And just some quick fire questions. What bat detectors okay. what, what bat detectors do you use and what's your favourite bat species? Oh, uh, bat detector is magenta. I'm quite old school. Right. <laughs> um, I, I do need to try some of the newer ones, but I, I kind of like the heterodyne because you, you watch the bats rather than watching the screen. And I like watching the bats. So, yeah, yeah that's what I use. And favourite bat species? Oh, um, I think I might need three, potentially. <laughs> um, so... so uh pipistrelle as i said before because they're just so tiny uh but they also they always turn up particularly common pipistrelle they always turn up on bat walks and they're the ones that people can see so they're just such a brilliant engagement tool um brown long-eared bats because well they're just so smiley and you can't not love them um and barbastelves i love as well because that was the first bat i saw in the hand um after i joined the bat group so yeah they have a special place in my heart as well and who have been the people most influential to you? Um, yeah, it's quite hard to question. Lots of people, I think, probably in terms of my appreciation of nature. Um, I think that started quite early in life. Um, so I've probably got my family to thank for that. We didn't have a car when I was younger. Um, so we used to go for lots of walks and I grew up in mid Wales. So there were lots of very nice walks to go on. Um, and then I, I was just sort of exposed to people who were who thought the environment was important from quite a young age. So that's, that definitely influenced me. Um, and then I, I already mentioned that online mammal ecology course. So obviously the teacher on that had a, an influence on my, my starting to get into bats. Um, and then at work, there's been so many people that have been influential, my line managers, my colleagues, volunteers that I've met. Um, yeah, it's hard to, it's hard to, there's a lot of people out there I think have influenced me, um, mostly in a good way, I think. <laughs> I hope. <laughs> <laughs> And and what's the one thing you'd love to do but never managed to find the time? Is it? It's really hard to answer that. I mean, all, all I can do is really silly things like uh, domestic tasks and putting <laughs> putting together our wedding album from ten years ago, things like that. But I guess in terms of of nature, I I think I would I would love to spend more time in Africa. Um, I did my field work and Phil in Madagascar. I went on sabbatical from BCT. Um, and I would absolutely love to go back and work on a conservation project there or on mainland Africa for a couple of months at some point. Um, and close to home, I, I haven't ever been to the west coast of Scotland, believe it or not. So I would like to find time to do that at some point too. Why should people care about the conservation of bats and therefore the Bat Conservation Trust? Oh, bats are a crucial part of our ecosystem um, and they're also indicators of a healthy environment. So because changes to our bat populations can indicate changes in other aspects of biodiversity um, and it's all the, the environment that we all ultimately depend on uh, so in the UK they're, they're top of the food chain they eat nocturnal insects so if bats are present in good numbers then it's very likely that it's going to be good quality habitats that support native plants which in turn support insects and they in turn obviously support bats birds amphibians the whole web of life um, they're also a really invaluable measure of our in the health of our towns and cities uh, and if a town supports healthy populations of a number of bat species, there's a good chance 
that the town is a healthy environment for any mammal. And of course, we are mammals. So so that's a very um, important to us in, in terms of measuring where we would want to live and where we can live healthily. They also have a really vital role um, in the UK and, in, and globally in, in pest suppression. So we've got some research underway to quantify their role in the UK, but we, we do know there's been a couple of studies in Europe which involve studies that are present in the UK. Um, one of them was a lesser horseshoe bat in continental Europe suggested that the species consumes at least 55 pet species, pet, pet species, pet species. <laughs> <laughs> um, and in uh, Catalonia, I think it was, uh, Sopranopipistrels were shown to feed on uh, the rice borer moth, which is a major pest, pe- major pest of rice cultivation. So um, they, they play a huge role in pest suppression. And, and globally, they also play a crucial role in pollinating plants and in seed dispersal. So um, they, they're really crucial to our ecosystem. But quite apart from that, they're also... Um, absolutely fascinating in their own right um, and people love engaging with the nocturnal world of the bats they're a little bit different so they're a really good way of people engaging with nature so there are lots of reasons that people should care about them <laughs> and I, I guess I should say we need to care about them unfortunately because they've seen such significant declines over the past hundred years and although we are starting to see um, some small signs of recovery in some of our species we've, we've still got quite a long way to go yeah are you a member of your local bat group or, or do you have enough of bats once you've finished work that's it <laughs> well i don't really see any bats at work so um <laughs> i i am a member of my my local bat group which is cambridgeshire um, and they will tell you i'm sure that i don't do anywhere near enough as i should <laughs> locally because in the days in the days when i was commuting to london two or three days a week um, i was usually too tired to actually do anything when i got back but um i have actually now obviously this year has been a bit different so i have actually been out and about and done a few more uh surveys for the national bat monitoring program and and just been out and about locally and, and actually see more bats this year than i have done in previous years which is good great stuff kit stoner thank you very much for that insight thank you my thanks to Kit for sharing that insight with us and my thanks to you guys for your continued support for Batchat and for streaming this podcast because without you listeners there would be no point in doing it. We're really pleased that you enjoy it so much. In these uncertain times we all need things to keep us connected so if you know someone who's never listened to a podcast before we'd love it if you could show them how to listen and introduce them to Batchat. We're back in two weeks time when we'll be going underground with the Bat Group on a hibernation survey so join us then for what may be the first podcast to have ever been recorded from inside a mine at it. Now lots of you have seen me in branded t-shirts and hoodies with the Batchat logo on and you've all been asking me when they'll be available. Well we're thrilled to let you know that a whole range of Batchat clothing and tote bags is now available for you on our T-Mail store, the link's in the show notes. Whether you're a long-time supporter or a new member of the Batchat family, we can't wait for you to share your photos of you wearing our merch on social media. Be sure to tag the Bat Conservation Trust in your posts. If you're listening to Batchat on Google Podcasts, we wanted to let you know that Google have announced they plan to discontinue their app later this year, so we recommend making the switch to an alternative podcast app, and we've put some links in the show notes to alternative apps that you can follow Batchat on so that you don't miss any future episodes.